Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Take Manian, the series running through 2022, where we'll be reading and analyzing the creator-owned works of writer Jonathan Hickman. From his debut, The Nightly News, through to his most recent output, we'll be reading one creator-owned work a month through 2022, and each month I'll release a new analysis with a new guest discussing the comic. Today, we're going to be talking about a red mass for Mars. I am joined by Sarah Century, great writer, great conversationalist, podcaster. You may have heard her on Bitches on Comics, her own podcast. You may have heard her on Cerebrocast, frequent guest there with Connor. And, uh, and of course, at writing over at Comic Book Herald, where I am the founder and editor-in-chief. Sarah, thanks so much for joining. Um, let's kick it off with this. You're not a big like Jonathan Hickman reader or fan or, or maybe fans the wrong word. But like, like when I, when I asked you about this initially, you were like, I haven't read like much of his creator own stuff. Um, what Hickman stuff have you read? Like what's your, what's your background with the creator here? I'm pretty sure it's just, uh, I started with secret wars. I think, I think that that was the first thing by him that I read. And I love that crossover. I think it's really fun. It's a good starting point for him, I think, too, because it has all of the mainstay Marvel characters uh, that are recognizable. And it's kind of him. I don't know. I, I think that crossovers are so dicey and so often just not fun. And I really love Secret Wars. I think it's one of the most fun crossovers that there is. I think it's one of the best. It really is. There's actually a Bitches on Comics episode where somebody asked us about Secret Wars. Um, in context of gay characters being gay only in like an alternate universe. So we had criticism about that theme. But I think that overall, I really enjoyed Secret Wars. I thought it was great. And I've loved Hawkspox. I've loved the Krakoa era. But it's Hickman, I think, is the best part about him is, is that he doesn't think that he's the creator of Krakoa. You know, like he, it's like he knows that he had a lot to do with it but that there was a big network of people around him. So I think the fact that he avoids being the auteur is something that it, I appreciate. And it's also something that doesn't always work in his favor because sometimes it makes me be like, oh, he's just one of the people, right? <laughs> and uh, so I haven't really yeah, like yeah. looked back into his stuff that much. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, for sure. So that's going to be a different different perspective, which I think is very welcome here um, as we talk about a red mask for Mars. So this is this is number four in the Hickmania series as we go through his creator-owned stuff. And a red mask for Mars is the – by the time it's done, it is the fourth and, and kind of final graphic novel, the set of like four-issue minis basically that runs from like his debut with the Nightly News in 2006 through by the end of a red mask for Mars 2010. Um, a Red Mass for Mars came out from June 2008 to July 2010, even though it's only four issues. So it took 25 months for the four issues to come out, which if you were collecting at the time, I'm sure was <laughs> infuriating. Yeah. Like it's it's definitely one of those things where time benefits <laughs> lengthy <laughs> delays because now if you just read it all together, who cares? But at the time, I'm sure that sucked. Oh, um, yeah. Especially this story of all stories, having to wait eight months between issues must have been rough yeah absolutely absolutely um and and during this time too because it takes so long to finish and this is hickman on on writing in colors um he's got art here by ryan bodenheim which is important um because it's one of the it's the first instance we're going to do in the club here of creating own thing that hickman's doing where he's working with a new artist that isn't himself actually but during this time Hickman goes on and he he's written more than half of Secret Warriors, Fantastic Four and Shield are well into their starts. Like his Marvel stuff 
hit, starts picking up and it starts taking off kind of as we're like midway through a red mass for Mars, which maybe begins to explain some of the delays, <laughs> this and that. Could I don't know the rationale, but regardless, it's not going to be the focus of this conversation. But the reason I want to have you on, sir, is a red mass for Mars is like, it's a superhero story. And you and I are both big superhero comics fans. Um, I definitely value and appreciate your perspectives on like superhero comics. And this one is unquestionably a big what if alternate universe kind of marvel dc superhuman analog type thing um so so we're going to talk about i think like how it functions as a superhero comic outside of those restrictions outside of those known properties um what things it's doing that are unique versus what things it's doing that have been done a ton in other superhero works um and those types of conversations as well as the themes that we're playing with here in a red mask for Mars. This is a comic. And I think Hickman as a creator during this phase that is obsessed with utopia is, is very fixated on this idea of like, what is actually a good or perfect society? Um, if we have these metahumans who can deliver anything like our, these godlike figures, right. And kind of looking at the DC landscape in the, in this, you know, we have these godlike, you know, justice league watching above us, what kind of world can we have and what kind of world should we have? I don't know that it has the answers. I don't think it pretends to, right? But it but it definitely is asking those questions, which I think is interesting. Uh, before we dig into the first question that I want to toss to you, I do want to mention, so we got art here by Ryan Bodenheim. And I think it's a huge benefit to this comic that this is drawn by Bodenheim, um, that it's not Hickman himself, even though his colors are here sort of keeping tonal consistency, frankly, with the previous body of work and his creator-owned stuff. Uh, but Brian Bodenheim actually passed away just earlier this year in, in 2022. Oh, no. Um, so RIP to, to Ryan Bodenheim and, and you know, thoughts to, to his family and friends. Oh, God. Um, Hickman actually wrote a really nice kind of farewell. Yeah, so it's really, really sad because he was, he's only 44. You know, it's pretty sad stuff there. Yeah. Um, but we want to obviously talk and, and celebrate the work. I think here today. Yeah, I was looking forward to seeing so, all right. his work. I thought that this was such a strong. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's rough. It's such a bummer. Like he was, he was working on Eternal stuff with Karen Gillan over at Marvel. Like there was, yeah. there was definitely good stuff still to come. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely gone too soon. I think on that front. So all right, let let's let's talk. I guess the the, the Red Mask for Mars, like it can be summarized pretty simply, and it is, it's a dark Superman story. <laughs> like there is there is this figure, uh, Mars who is, he crashes, he's an alien who crashes to an Earth, in an alternate Earth, actually, in the, what we'll call the medieval ages, okay? It's it's left vague. Um, whereas Pax Romana is very specific <laughs> about timelines and when things are happening in the reign of, you know, Constantine and Rome. This is very vague. It's just very broad. Uh, he's raised by knights and castles and stuff. And, um, and that's Mars, and that's our version of Superman. And he that's where he's raised and that's where his morality comes from. And it all kind of builds to this Superman who has turned his back on humanity, right? Which is very familiar in a Dr. Manhattan sense, if we're looking at Watchmen and those sorts of things. Sarah, broadly, what is your reaction to a dark Superman story? Are there any that work better for you? Like, what are the things that actually might sell you on this version of a story? Yeah, I guess I'll say that I have read all of them, right? I started reading comics forever ago. So I read, you know, Dark Knight Returns. I've read, you know, The Watchmen, of course, all of these. Uh, Miracle Man, which I think is kind of the prototype of a lot of those things. And it's also the bloodiest. So I think that a lot of times, something I appreciated about this one 
was that they didn't linger too much on the violence of it because I think once you've read Miracle Man, you really never need to supersede that again. <laughs> like, you can't be surprised mm. by that level of gore ever again. There was just so much in Miracle Man yeah, where yeah. he's just ripping people's bodies apart, like throwing them on fence posts, like all of the horrible things that you can possibly imagine. So, I think that, and then also, you know what, the early 2000s, there was so many people who were so inspired by it. So in stuff like Infinite Crisis, you, or you would have, uh, you know, Superboy rips like Panthera or whoever's arms off, or I think maybe Terra, like, but it just, it kind of becomes this like, uh, it's almost always misogynistic. In this case, I don't think it is, obviously. He kills... Um, people who yeah it's not he doesn't explicitly go out killing a bunch of women or something which i think is something that you see a lot in these stories so i appreciate yeah. that <laughs> to begin with and then also just the fact that they didn't really linger on it because i think that hickman is pretty aware that we've all seen the arms getting ripped off and like you know all of the eight million times we've seen these kind of really gory things pull like kind of go over in comics so I appreciated yeah. that. I would rate it better than a lot of the other comics I just mentioned because I think that it is more thoughtful. I would rate it under Thunderbolt by Gillen because I think that that's kind of the best deconstruction mm. of the superhero that I've read because it's just the most hopeful one. And that's just my general, I want to... Uh, you're talking about uh, Peter Cannon? Yeah, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, right? Is that Got the it. name of it? Got I get names wrong sometimes. No, yeah, you're right. You're just part of it, yeah. I think that that's my favorite one of all of the stories. So I don't think that this reaches that heights. I think it still is fairly cynical in a way that I think is fair. And I don't know. I thought it worked pretty well, though. I think it's better than a lot of the other things. I like it better than Miracle Man. <laughs> um, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of it? Yeah. So, like, definitely, I mean, so, like, Mars parallels Superman, but also Dr. Manhattan, right? And he's, he's <laughs> like, his name is Mars, and he's literally fled to Mars, which is obviously that Dr. Manhattan thing. Yeah. Um, the reason he does so, I do think, so, like, we have this, this again, it's a supremely condensed narrative as is, right? It's only four issues. And I think to your point, you know, Hickman, because it's so condensed and it is told in such a short time frame, there's a there's a condensation that sometimes the shorthand works great. Like I don't need to see Mars form his Justice League mm -hmm. over a battle, right? Yeah. Like we like I know superhero comics. Like there's a certain trust of readers that you've read superhero comics and you kind of know how some of these things play out that I appreciate, right? I've been there, I've done it, but it can also lead to really cliched shortcuts. You know, like I actually think the reason for Mars, he forms his justice league. He's forming a utopia. The reason he snaps is um, he finds love, you know, in a hopeless place even. And his, his, he, his son explodes his wife yes. in, in, in child, um, in, in birth. Right. And it's just, it feels very cliched. Like I, I just, that felt like a thing that happens all the time where the woman who we don't know, we don't even know her she name. She doesn't say she anything. She literally explodes. Yeah. She says nothing, right. She has no, no purpose other than to die in, in labor. Um, and to make him take the dark turn. Exactly. And then that's that piece. I was like, oh, that's lazy. Like that. That didn't work for me. It sucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think put more aptly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably the worst element of this comic. I, I think say. so. Um, and then and then Mars, he flies away. He kills some Justice Leaguers, you know, and some criminals like he's just all out now. 
like back to the medieval ages. And then ultimately he's like, all right, forget it. I'm out. You guys take care of my son. I'm going to fly to Mars. And that's, that's where our story is actually set in this, this era where like they had utopia or a version of it building via Mars and his justice league. And then they lost that when he basically bailed on them. And it's that thing of that more and Gibbons and Higgins do so well in Watchmen of like, Hey, we had God on our side and he doesn't want anything to do with us again, which I always find vaguely interesting. Um, but yeah, if you look at like, if you look at like all the Superman analogs, less the Dr. Manhattan, more the Superman, it's, it's certainly something that has been done before. You know, you got Superman, Red Sun, right? This idea of like, what if he was born in Russia? Um, which boy, is that a question now? Like well, <laughs> that comic reads differently now, but, uh, it, and then even, even after, it, it, it's not ahead of the curve, but it actually does in some ways predate a huge wave of these types of stories because then you got like Mark Wade's Irredeemable, you got Tom Taylor on Injustice, um, The Boys on Amazon Prime, which I know the comic came out before, but like certainly it's had a, a rejuvenation here with the TV show, which I think is way better. Um, but there have basically been, you know, there have been Superman analogs since there was a Superman, yeah. but there's been a big push and a big wave of, ooh, what if he went bad? Um, and it always sells well. It always captivates people, I think, no matter how many times it's been told. Um, this is not my favorite version, I suppose, uh, but it is it is relatively well done. I mean, I think like even something like an Irredeemable, which I'm not like the biggest fan of, but because it's a standard run, it just has more space to explore and to flesh out characters. And that's where a red mass for Mars being so crazy condensed suffers, I think, because we get to know like two to three people, I want to say, you know, like we get to know Benefactor, who's this this um, superhero can see the future, kind of an Ozymandias type, I think, um, a little Tony Starkish, And uh, we get to know sort of the Reed Richards, the smartest man in the universe kind of thing a little bit. And then you have Mars and his son and like, that's the cast. Right. And then, and then it's filled in with these, their designs and they're cool. Right. And they're just analogs and they're designs, but they're not people. They're not characters to get to know. And, and in that way, I think it's, it's lacking compared to alternate superhero universes. So that was another question I want to ask you is like, there's a gazillion alternate superhero universes, black hammer, invincible Astro city. Like what are some of your favorites there? And how do you think this stacks up? Um, in terms of what it's doing. Yeah, I think that I've, I have always enjoyed, I feel like Astro City has been going for so long. <laughs> That's a yeah. comic that it goes away and comes back, you know. So to me, it's even if I read an Astro City story that I don't like that much, I'm like, well, I'll just come back in a year or so. <laughs> like there will be a right, new yeah. Astro City and I find that to be comforting, considering the fact that it's kind of one of those unique premises We in the way that it is doing a lot of deconstruction of the superhero alternate reality kind of thing. But at the same time, it's one of those stories that really hasn't been commented outside, like, you know, Invincible is a show, The Boys is a show, but Astro City kind of just exists in comics still. And I think that there's something kind of enjoyable about that for me. So I like Astro City, and I'm going to say maybe that that's one of my favorite ones, I guess. Most of the superhero books I think I read are big too, but then there's also, I think it would Valiant count, I guess. The Valiant universe has kind of an yeah, alternate. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I think that they have a lot to offer. They do a lot of really good stuff through there. When it comes to clear, obvious analogs of characters, I usually find that to be a little bit tedious. I kind of wish people would kind of get out of their that comfort zone a little bit. But I also understand that there's a lot yeah. of stories that you can't tell through Marvel and DC. This story could not have been told through Marvel and DC. It, you know, Watchmen was, but it, the way that they did that, you know, it was initially intended to be existing DC it's characters. It's a technicality, yeah. So it's like, you can tell, like, Rorschach, that's Batman. You can tell, you know, exactly the the lines. Dr. Manhattan is what Alan Moore was thinking about Superman at that time. So I think that usually it annoys me a little bit, but I'm here for it because there's so many versions of it that I <laughs> wouldn't be able to be a comic book fan, you know, without being at least a little bit into them. But I think that this one does pretty good with it, honestly. I agree with your point, though, because you said that it's too condensed. I looked at reviews, and that's everybody's opinion. Everybody thinks that this should have been a six-issue okay. series. <laughs> yeah. like, And I think that that makes sense yeah. because you're right. There's not enough – There's he, you can tell that there's parts where it's just kind of checking. Like, that needed to happen in the comic, and now we're going to move on. But that tells you what's going on. And a lot of it, I think that that's what it is. It allows for lazy moments of storytelling where we have the woman who just explodes and then all of a sudden Superman's evil, yeah. which literally is the premise of Injustice, right? Like Lois Lane gets <laughs> I know, blasted. It's the same. <laughs> oh, man, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. But I don't know. This was a different time, right? It came out in like 2010, did you say? Yeah, eight oh eight to ten. Yeah, oh eight to ten. So that was still we're still in right around New Fifty Two era. We're still around when everybody thinks that killing women in inventive ways in your comic is like the most edgy thing that you can do. So I don't think he's alone in this. You know, I guess is what I will say. Um, <laughs> That's quite the defense. <laughs> It's just kind of, it's one of those things though, where a lot of creators that I love will do stuff like this and you have to be like, I mean, it's awful and you have to care, call it out where it comes along because literally this woman doesn't have a single line. <laughs> like yeah, right. she just explodes and it makes this guy really mad and it's kind of ridiculous because I mean, it makes me not like Mars very much also in the fact that I could understand a lot of things about Mars. If you told me that Mars became disillusioned by people just by interacting with us, like <laughs> that would make a lot more sense to me because yeah. you don't need your wife to explode <laughs> to be disillusioned by humanity. So I get that they're dropping this, here's the bombshell, you know, like it, it always has to be explosive, especially if you're only in a four issue format. But I got to say it does it doesn't read too good on that front. And you t you know that the story isn't about her at all. So his reaction isn't about her either, but there's no exploration of that. So that part is kind of a huge bummer honestly. And I do think that it kind of tinges a little bit of where the story goes. However, if you want to look at it from the perspective of it's just the superhero, the male superheroes interacting with each other, I think that that's what Hickman usually does best. So I think that there's a lot of stuff there that works out really well. And you can kind of see the shadows of Secret Wars coming, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely mirrors, I think, 
the type of work he's been doing and the type of work he's going to do in the superhero landscape, which I love. Like, I do love his Marvel Universe stuff. Yeah. An absolute ton. Um, I think this is, it's all kind of like getting up to the cusp of it, feeling out like big plot and big themes and ideas, and then just kind of leaving it and saying, hey, it'd be cool if we actually did that, right? And I'm like, yeah, it would. Um, but it's not quite here. You know, it's still, this is still a work that is like, enjoyable in many regards it is again i i appreciate just with these early creator-owned works because none of them are my favorite hickman stuff like it's just there's a there's a thing here where so he goes like his creator-owned combo here goes nightly news pax romana transhuman and a red mask from mars and you have the storyteller becoming comfortably and confidently like becoming who they're going to be right like often with interesting results along the way but it's never as good as it's gonna get mm. and i think that's very deliberate like this is a creator who if you listen to them talk like talks about working on the craft like talks about getting better as they go like is very critical of their own work like that is intentional i think that's that's kind of how comics should work. It's kind of, it's the opposite of like a lot of what we see in music a lot of times where it's like, you have your whole life to work on your first album and the first album's great. And then artists have a hard time finding a second, third, right? It's only the, the, like the real standouts that are able to do that. Comics actually can kind of go the other way yeah. where it's, you're kind of building. And like, I think what's cool and what has led to so much success for Hickman is he comes out of the gate with something that is very inventive. Um, the nightly news is like, hey, here's an idea of how graphic design and comics can be integrated. Um, and it's just visually, it's like, oh, wow, this is great. Who thinks about the medium in ways that are inventive? And that kind of, you know, sets him up for superstardom and all that stuff. Uh, but there's a clear and deliberate building of skill sets, right? And it, it's, you know, he's getting a lot of reps in the Marvel Universe. I do think the four issue mini or the short comic, it does not suit his strengths. <laughs> like, like it is a... Self-imposed limitation, I think, of sort of the realities of just, like, being a relatively new creator of needing to pay for your own image book to get out there, right? Like, there's a financial uh, calculus to, to like, I can't just say I'm doing 25 issues for my first book or whatever, right? Which I, which I understand. But everything is kind of underbaked as a result. And I think it's, like, like, for example, so, like, Mars comes to Earth. But he comes to a different Earth. And I like the shorthand that there's two Earths. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a very, like, hey, you've read DC Comics. Yeah. You know Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, you get this. And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. But is it ever discussed how he gets from one Earth to the other? Does that ever come up? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't think so either. There was and I've a read lot it a couple of stuff. times. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff where I was like, I don't know if I'm missing plot elements or if they're just not there. Uh, uh -huh. And that's okay. You know, I feel like what if you can learn to let go and love the bomb, basically, this is a pretty fun yeah, read. Yeah. But you definitely have moments where you go oh what okay i and then for what was the guy the guy who can see the future the benefactor i had no idea what his name was through the entire thing i was like <laughs> i wonder what this guy's name is <laughs> but it's kind of okay because it works out and i think that uh, to your point they he very much is going this is a comic book for people who have read comic books because yeah. he's read comics. And he always, I, I think Connor brought it up when I was on Cerebrocast where he was talking about Jonathan Hickman says, don't write comics about comics. And I, I feel like this might've been where he kind of broke his own rule a little bit because yeah. it is a little bit about comics, right? 
Yeah, it's hard not to it's hard not to read something that is so set in in analog or in pastiche and say it's not somewhat meta commentary. Like I don't know that he's necessarily saying like, oh, in Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan did this. And here's my commentary on that. Right. Which is mm-hmm. kind of what, you know, you mentioned Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, like Karen Gillen's very good at that. Like he is good at comics criticism and that book can be read as such. I don't know that Hickman's really making a case for that here so much as just the meta awareness of like, what are the tropes? What are the things that readers know and expect? And how can we shorthand and bypass, you know, because back to the multiversal travel thing, it actually doesn't matter. Like if you want to say like, well, they never explain it, but it doesn't matter. I kind of agree. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I kind of agree. It's like, yeah, I can just take for granted that like he traveled across earth somehow and now he's here, but it's also like, it felt germane to the story. Like we're making a point of this is set on this earth and this is set on this earth. And then it just gets dropped and it never comes up again. And that to me is where it's like, okay, this feels more like a byproduct of the speed with which the story is told Yeah. instead of like a purposeful thing to just kind of bypass and ignore. Um, and I think that stuff tends to feel kind of disappointing when you, when you get to the end of it and it's like, well, why didn't that feel more satisfying? That's one example. There's no character beats. (laughs) Like, it's basically just you see these big events. And I get it, you know, because I think that he, as we've said, he had to squish so much stuff into four issues (laughs) with this one. Um, So it does make sense. It really does. But there's moments where you're just like, I just don't get Mars, I guess. You know, I just don't get him. He does a bunch of things that are very much acting out. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't get him. He doesn't, ha- he doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Sorry, there's a cat on my neck. <laughs> get the cat on the mic. <laughs> yeah, come on, Kyoko. What do you have to say? <laughs> um, no, there's, so there's a really good essay. Um, it's called The Poetics of of Hickman or something to that extent. It's on Tor.com. I'll include it in the show notes as one of the, the reads. And it talks about how uh, Aristotle's Poetics is this, this kind of like one of the earliest texts on like literary theory, essentially. Um, and it's talking about how Aristotle breaks out like there are these six core functions of like storytelling, basically. And how Hickman kind of bypasses like character typically. And there's a focus on theme, spectacle, and plot over everything. So like Aristotle has like character and diction very high. And that's something that I think in superhero comics, for example, if you're looking at Chris Claremont's X-Men, character and diction, super high, right? Um, But with Hickman comics, there's, I think a lot of times people are like, well, it's just, it's all just ideas. And I think this actually distills like, yeah, that's because it's focused on theme, spectacle, and plot, typically. Um, And I think a Red Mask for Mars is like the clearest example, frankly, of this type of storytelling. Cause I think it's something in the Marvel universe, like his, his storytelling benefits from the restrictions and the expectations of superhero comics in the Marvel universe. Fantastic four is a much better comic. Uh, and, but there are certain expectations. There are certain beats and, and things that you have to hit while simultaneously having, amazingly cool big ideas yes right and and 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that a lot of the character work is already done in superhero comics. Yeah. I think that that's mm-hmm. a big thing that he benefits with through the entire Krakoa era is, is that a lot of the character work is all set up for you. You don't have to really go into that. But yeah, please continue because this is really interesting to me. I was thinking about this stuff and I'm excited to know that there's an essay on it. Yeah, it's really good. Again, I'll include this link. Um, it's well, well, you know, distilled, I think, into like why... Why do, because this is a criticism I saw with X-Men stuff right here, here 10 years later, where individuals were like, well, all these characters sound like mouthpieces for the creator's ideas. I think that's a common criticism where they can all kind of start to sound the same. Like they all went to the same, they all took the same online philosophy course and like they all have the exact same ideas. Um, And I think that's fair sometimes, you know, I, I do think that's a fair criticism and I think it's kind of just the nature of this creator storytelling, but in the Marvel universe, to your point, I already know professor X is a jerk because I've spent decades reading his comics. Right. And there's this built in history to the character. Like when he kicks off Reed Richards and he goes into his lab and he says, okay, I'm going to solve everything. There are decades of Reed stories as the smartest man in the universe where I kind of know the weight of that. And I kind of know that he's cutting out Sue and what the implications of that are going to be, right? And I I really think there's tremendous benefit from having those characters already so kind of like ingrained in readers' hearts that he doesn't necessarily have to do that heavy lifting. I'm not saying he's incapable of it because as we progress to books that go for longer and we're going to get into like the Manhattan Projects and East of West, there's a bit more of that. Because there has to be, because they're new, and we have to get to know them, and we have to get to know, and they're emotional stories too. Like there's a romance at some of the, you know, at the heart of some of these. So it's like you kind of have to, you have to start to invest. I think that's by the time a Red Mask for Mars ends, the emotional fulcrum of this story, I guess, is supposed to be Mars and his son, and it is a big nothing. Like it is, there is, and I like, I'm, I'm a sucker for like dad and kid stories right now like that i can get weepy at the slightest thing this story hits really no emotional beat at all and i don't know that it's even that interested in it yeah it seems like it's very inclined towards intellectualism which i don't think is a bad thing and i was gonna say too that with x-men he does do an incredible mystique he does do an incredible cyclops i think that He's done one of my favorite takes on Cyclops. So it's definitely, uh, but I do think he builds on characterization in a way that's good. But yeah, I I agree with everything that you said that here, it's just kind of not about that, I guess. And for me, I'm like anybody who grew up on Claremont X-Men, as you said, it's all character work. So, you know, there's times where the plot, who knows what's going on? <laughs> like, it's just chaotic. And not <laughs> right. to say that he was bad at plot because he's really good at it because he can juggle 20, 30 of them in a single issue. And you don't really know what's happening yeah. because there's such a focus on the creators. So I think that there's something really interesting about that for sure. And I uh, can only assume that Hickman has read all of the Claremont, but I also think that, yeah, he's just a different kind of writer and we have room for that in comics, which is really great. I think that, uh, you know, I would say that maybe even Teeny Howard had more of a emotional focus whenever it's like, we're looking at like Betsy's journey or something like that. So I think even within the X-Men universe, we're seeing a lot of other creators that kind of take that part up. So I don't know. Like I said, at the top of the show, I think he's a creator that just works really well with other creators. I think that he's great at ideas. 
and uh, kind of in the same way as Grant Morrison, but I feel like they don't have quite the same click with like a lot of other creators sometimes. Uh, not to mm. say that that's not entirely a thing. Like I just think that Hickman seems to be especially adept at it, right? So I think that when he builds his universe, it just look at their difference of X-Men runs, right? You know, it's like Morrison's is a lot of really big ideas. There's good character work in it, but it kind of, people couldn't really follow it up after Morrison left the books. It seems like there was kind of a weird era after that, right? Whereas I think that Hickman's Yeah, yeah, he X-Men, set it on fire. Yeah, right? and I think that like Hickman's X-Men is going strong, you know, after Inferno. I think that it's it's just going to keep getting better and better, honestly. Uh, so I don't know. I guess it's, it's neither way is worse or better. I still love Morrison's X-Men, you know, and I love Hickman's run on X-Men. So neither way is worse or better. But I like that comics has room for all of these different interpretations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think it's interesting, you know, kind of along those lines, like, so you've got with the Red Mask for Mars, it's like, okay, you get your chance to do whatever you want on a big Justice League story, essentially, right? Um, on your own superhero universe. And it's like, okay, so you're freed from the restrictions of Marvel and DC, where like, unless you're Grant Morrison turning Magneto, you know, crazy psycho killer and killing characters, right? Like, you, like, you kind of have to put the toys back in the box or set set this thing up to be additive, right? And set it up so that future creators can come in and take this somewhere else and take it somewhere new, right? Which I think is like his greatest gift to X-Men at the end of the day. Red Mask for Mars, it's like, okay, so you're freed from that. What do you do with it? And I think the answer winds up being pretty disappointing. <laughs> like, like, it's not that different than a superhero story that could be told in these universes, right? Like, like if this is like Squadron Supreme is another good example of this, the Mark Grunewald right. 80 stuff. And like, this could be a Squadron Supreme story. Like it's not that far removed from that conversation. I mean, I actually think a comic shares a surprising amount of DNA with, and it's not something I realized until the second read is Mark Miller and, and Frank quietly on the authority. Yeah. Um, right down to like, you have this shaman character who's just kind of like a wizard going pretty wild and mad. He's apparently killed a bunch of Englishmen to make English the official language of the world. Like, it's a weird bit of cynical humor in a book that, or attempted humor, right? I didn't find it funny. But, like, it's it's a weird bit of attempted humor in a book that otherwise has none. None. You know? Like, it feels very (laughs) satirical and out of place. I thought. Yeah, um, that was actually really confusing, right? I was very uh-huh. confused by that character just overall. And then I read it back and was like, oh, it's like a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's a weird joke. And <laughs> I guess it's meant to build to be like, this character is kind of losing it and they're on their way out. And then we ultimately get them and they show up. Um, this character shows up with Mars on Mars to be like, hey, we need your help against this alien invasion. And if you read it a couple times, it's kind of like, okay, I guess that those dots connected, but it's like, it's a weird cut to that scene. It feels like, because I, I, for the longest time, I thought that character was going to be Mars's son, yeah. the way the story is told. Yeah. Because there's this focus on this weird phase and these people he's killing. And then that's not even it. It's it's just structurally very strange. But, you know, all that all that is to say, like, I guess the thing I want to get back to is, okay, so character-wise, it's not the main focus. There's not a ton of emotion. Okay, but then what are the things he's doing? Again, theme and spectacle. And it's talking about utopia. Okay, so let's talk about the thing that it's actually fixated on and is is doing okay. The first page of this comic summarizes our obsession with extinction, 
and yeah. it's fairly astute. Yeah, that's an interesting beat, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a really good opening. You know, it's climate change, it's uh, it's viruses, it's terrorism, it's artificial intelligence. All these things leading to various extinction point events for um, for humanity, and obviously, like very much capturing real world fills that or fears that are still very very applicable right now. And then the turn it quickly makes, which is very superhero, is it says we were so worried about all these internal threats that we weren't prepared for, you know, external threats, aliens. <laughs> and it actually like, and then it, it very clearly in, in becomes a superhero thing. I got to say, I actually like that first page and the continued presence of those real threats and those real fears versus the big alien horde invasion. Uh, because I think that actually sets up a harder conversation that Hickman's trying to have about how do we make a utopia? If we have the power, how do we do it? I actually think it's harder when it's against those things that are real um, or at least familiar, right? It, that are at least a metaphor for something that feels familiar because aliens doesn't. <laughs> um, like it it doesn't, uh, like, listen, if that happened, like, here's the thing. Like if in 20 years, it's like, oh, we it was aliens. We should have been we, – I was worried about climate change. I should have been worried about aliens. I will take that. I will accept that. <laughs> like, I, didn't, I didn't see that coming. Like I'm, fi- I'm fine with that. Go ahead, aliens. Like have your way. Yeah. Um, but like I just – I don't know. For me, it kind of – it loses some luster in, in this obsession with utopia. But I still think it's an interesting conversation. I don't know. What, what did you think of that opening and kind of the fixation on like building a perfect society? Well, I mean, there's no people in this book, you know, there's uh, some superheroes and we have the people who are there to protect. So, but there's no people there's, we don't know. I I love a lot of the points that he's making because he says that a society based on liberty isn't enough. It has to be a society that's based on equality. And I think that that is extremely astute when we're talking about a utopia, right? Right. I think that he definitely explores this stuff way more in depth later, especially in the Krakoa era, right? Oh, yeah. But there's no people in this. It doesn't have anything to do with people. So, (laughs) like, it has to do with a superpower. You know, it has to do with Mars and if Mars is going to decide this or that. And the fact that, much like in Watchmen, it's very much just somebody's arbitrary decision of whether or not humanity is worth saving but there's no people in it. We don't get to know. That's part of what Watchmen actually does well. I am questionable about Watchmen. I have my moments. It's great and it's terrible, you know, all of the things. But I think that, first of all, you can never change how impactful Sally going to Mars to try to talk Dr. Manhattan to coming back to help. To me, you can't beat that issue. I mm-hmm. find Dr. Manhattan to be completely insufferable, but oh, I, yeah. I yeah. cannot, you cannot beat her going to Mars and saying, hey, you asshole, <laughs> like you have to <laughs> do something like we're dying, you know, because there's a human element to that here. There's just no human yeah, element right. to it. So it's like, why did he decide this or that? Like, we don't really know. And it seems very arbitrary, honestly. So I think that there is a point in here that it being that arbitrary is what is dangerous and scary about having a God figure 
that, you know, they could just snap their fingers one way or the other and who knows where it's going to take us. But I think that one of the most important things about this is that there's no human element to it. So I don't know why Mars (laughs) decides the way that Mars decides because I think that he doesn't like anybody. And I think that that's okay. And it makes sense for a God and he's been around forever, but he's done terrible things too. And so that's the thing that I find to be complicated about him is that we don't, we don't get to have a moment where we go, Hey, you're kind of an awful person. (laughs) Like if we're looking at this from a person perspective, you're not a good one. You know, like you have made a lot of mistakes. And I feel like in Watchmen, Sally is the person who plays that role. She's the one who goes, Hey, you made our relationship awful. Like it's been terrible for me. And that's why I left you. (laughs) Like it Mm. wasn't because you're a God and I don't understand you or something. It's because you were a bad boyfriend. (laughs) Like that is (laughs) what I love about that comic, those moments. Right. So I think that, with the absence of that here, and he doesn't have 12 issues to have a Sally, like he doesn't have that space. So I understand, but at the same time, it does make me be like, he's setting up these ideas. This is a compact story. It's kind of a blip on the radar in his overall career. It's not something that if you asked him what his greatest work is, I don't think he would hand you this comic. But on the other mm. hand, there the things that are wonderful about it is that he is forming these ideas that I think are interesting. And when he's building on top of it, it's saying the arbitrary nature of this superhero dichotomy is actually dangerous and kind of scary. <laughs> and I think that that's good. Yeah. And as I say, he explores it way more in depth later. But the ideas of you can't just have a society of people who are free, you have to have them be equity minded. You know, that's important. There's a few things I thought he did really well in here. And it's basically those. But yeah, there's there's no people in it. So (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that's really that's a really interesting point. I think it's very, very true. I mean, I think I think the conversation and the just sort of like thinking through like okay, what are these examples of perfect societies? I think that's where the comic's probably at its strongest, you know, the way, and, and I, again, because of the condensed nature, not everything comes together as thematically thematically tight, I think, as it could. Um, but there's a quote here towards the end. It says, what is utopia? It is evolution, a progression from eternity to liberty, then equality, and finally fraternity, a collective of individuals dedicated only to the betterment of each other, a brotherhood of all men. It is you and it is me forever. It's a very sweet idea. Like, it's a very sweet progression of, like, how do we get to true utopia? And ultimately just saying, like, we all come together and uh, live forever together in harmony. Um, It's big and it's vague, but it's sweet. And it's also like, yeah, that's super on Krakoa, right? Like, that is the I. That is the promise of the mutant nation of Krakoa in X-Men is them trying to get to that for themselves. I think the biggest problem with that conversation in a red mask for mars is like that build to this fraternity that hickman is championing it is not in this comic (laughs) like they don't like but for the last page where you have two individuals with their arms wrapped around each other you don't have anyone come together um not really and because we hardly know anyone that's not really what this book is doing you know so again like thematically i don't think the actions and the the movement of the narrative actually gets to that idea but the idea itself 
is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like it. Um, and it's obviously something that he is continuing or had continued to play with, uh, especially in the X-Men stuff where, you know, Aldous Huxley's Utopia, it's the literal name of the book, is a huge inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do, I really like having those conversations with superhero figures and superhero universes. It's a part of why I love Squadron Supreme. That is a really great comic. Yeah, and it's like, it's just, it's really leaning into, you know, and Morrison does this a bit on on JLA World, uh, New World Order, yeah. where it's just like, we can do this. We can shape the world. Why wouldn't we? Um, why wouldn't we make it the best thing it can be? And then figuring out, okay, how does that fall apart? And then asking, well, who watches The Watchmen, right? And those questions. Um, but I but I do like it when comics say, like, hey, we're actually going to do that instead of sort of what they often have to do. And we see this come up every time. Super, Like, we saw, like, um, there was a big story where uh, Superman's son, John, is, like, protesting climate change, right? And, and then the conversation becomes, like, John, why don't you simply stop it? <laughs> You're Superman. And superhero universe comics can run into those questions where they're like, well, if Reed Richards just solves cancer, now it takes out some of the real human connection to our world and and yada, 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 right? And you go down these rabbit holes. I do love it when the comics actually back it up and, and Squadron Supreme, Watchmen, this, they step outside themselves and say, nah, forget that. Forget that. We've got godlike beings. Let's actually just try to create a perfect society and then watch how that falls apart. Yeah, That's a different, interesting story that we can tell, you know? And that, like, that's what Krakoa is doing. Yeah. Is like, Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that they, because they on purpose cut people out. So that's the thing is if you're creating a utopia, you're making all of humanity's decisions for them. That's the thing. You can't change people. That's why it's hard to help people. It's hard to help people. You know, like if you, uh, yeah, I'm a, I feel like I'm, I try, you know, I've done a lot of really nice things in my life, but the fact is if somebody is how they are, that sometimes can be, or the systems are all how they are, and they're created by people. That's the problem with helping people. It's hard to help them. If somebody has a whole lifetime before you walk up to them one day, then you can't change that lifetime that they've had. And I mean, that's not to say that it's pointless. I'm just saying that it's more complicated than people make it out to be. And so whenever you look at something like superhero books, to me, where it is its strongest benefit is you have Superman reaches his hand out to somebody at their very worst moment and says, hey, like, it's not as bad as you think it is or something like that, right? Because it's probably not as bad as you think it is. And that's a good, like, a good sentiment. However, if you want to look at somebody whenever they're doing these big, like, oh, we're going to save humanity from itself, guess what? You can't. We can't save our humanity from itself. Humanity has to get better. <laughs> like, that's kind of it. So it's even if you think that you're going to come in, and plenty of governments have done this over the course of history, where they go, I'm going to do a better one. And what happens? It just ends up being this <laughs> yeah, complete yeah. disaster. And that's because they don't think about humanity humans. They don't think about the fact that there is going to always be somebody who does the wrong thing on purpose and doesn't care, you know, or like does care, but just does the wrong thing because that's what's in front of them. And for them, that's the choice that they make. Choice is a terrifying thing. So you look at something like this, where it it's, I feel like Hickman is acknowledging that it's more complicated than the superhero books sometimes make it out to be. And I think that it's to its benefit. But then at the same time, you can't create a utopian society if you don't have the people, 
you know, in mind. I think that in this, it's all superheroes. And of course, superheroes are people, you know, in their, in their own way, but they're the ones who are given these big, you know, oh, I could do this. I could like snap my fingers and save the world or something. And it's like, but you can't. And I think that that's something that is important when even that John Kent story, why don't you just change climate? And what I think he comes to is I'm no matter what, I'm still a person. Like I can't decide the world. (laughs) Like I can't. And so I think that that's what, when you look at superhero comics, just as a whole. And I feel like this comic definitely encourages us to do that. And like what the messages are of superhero comics, that's it. Like you can't, it has to be a big society. It has to be a bunch of people who come together and make these decisions together. It can't be somebody deciding Mm -hmm. for us because it'll never stick. And then like that person's just going to go off, you know, like that person's just going to do a Mars thing the second that something doesn't go right for him. And that's terrifying. (laughs) And that's no way to build a society. So I think that all of that is, it's the fact that you can look at this four issue comic and be like, but all of comics and like all of these questions about society and utopia, what it means, all of that, that means that this is a success on some level (laughs) because it's Mm. a very brief story. It's kind of a blip on the radar, as I said, and it makes me question a lot of things. So I think that is good. But then, yeah, as I say, the failing of it is definitely that there's just no people in it. There's no people taken into account really at all. Yeah, I love that. I love that line of thinking that, you know, because it gets you having those thoughts and asking those questions and because it is referential without being ham-fisted about it to the the legacy and the history of superhero comics that it starts getting you asking well how how should they handle these things like yeah that is that is a success like that is smart thinking and integration here into what can otherwise be reduced to a big battle versus an alien invasion and very you know traditional comic book stuff you know i think to your point too about like okay there's no people in it so we don't know like what anyone like there's no one on the ground really who's like has a, a point of view in this um the other thing we don't ever see is like for a comic that is so fixated on like utopia and and these different builds and different you know um versions of it it actually bypasses all the utopian phases so like it actually we're only in we're only set in the present which is post collapse um we never actually really exist or have much conversation in any of these utopian phases. So it's like, it's a bit incongruous. It's a bit out of sync with itself in terms of like, well, that already fell apart. So it doesn't seem like any of that worked. Um, and then it it's kind of arguing with itself too about like, okay, there's all these religious overtones with like our God, Mars. We had him, it was great. And then we lost him and he left and he bailed on us, right? It's a ton of religious overtones there and sort of a judo-christian, you know, line of thinking. Um or at least that's the one I'm more familiar with that I grew up with. And but then it's also like okay, so we need to we need to come together as a society and build our own fraternity and build our own utopia ourselves. Except that's not at all what they do. They yeah. still go crawling back, literally begging to the god to come back and save them, which he does. <laughs> yeah (laughs) and then and then he leaves again and then they're like oh cool it's good now that's the same thing that happened before it's just he left helping them this time as opposed to in a huff (laughs) that's (laughs) the thing right like it's the same 
Yeah. Well, with Dr. Manhattan, um, again, like I didn't come on this podcast to talk about the things I love about Watchmen, but one thing that I do like about Watchmen was that he leaves because of us. We do something to him. We scare him. He has seen us be terrible. That's the thing is he used to be a human. He's not human now. And he's looking at us and Mm -hmm. going, God, gross. Yuck. I hate these people. (laughs) Like they're (laughs) awful. And then they push him and make him want to leave a big group of people. In fact, there's that famous scene where they're, really just um just interviewing him in this aggressive and intense way he can't handle it he breaks down and he's out and then it's a human who comes and tells him you're being really out of control there's tons of people there's tons of things that are worth fighting for the fact that you're that removed is terrifying and also is why our relationship didn't work out but I think that on the other hand, right, you have Dr. Manhattan as this character where it's like he interacts with us and that makes it be a lot more believable. Whereas Mars just had one sad thing happen. But he, at the beginning of the comic, there's that scene where that guy is like, and then we'll have our way with their women or whatever. And it's all about him being a conqueror and a killer. And yeah, he was put into that life, right? But at the same time, he did those things. So he did that to a woman at some point, I think is the implication. And so like not maybe like blew her up into pieces during childbirth, but he did something really awful to a woman across the time that was probably somebody else's love. So to me, I look at something like that and it's like, there's no personal responsibility in his actions. He throws a little baby fit and goes off and then they go and beg him. And I'm just like, maybe he just stays away. Like maybe he just goes (laughs) like, maybe we have to figure this Mm -hmm. out. And I think that that's a better story Mm -hmm. is if like, they were like, yeah, we can't do this without him, but he's not coming back and I don't like him anyway. So let him stay over there. And then maybe he can choose to help at a moment, but that's his like character growth. But here he really doesn't have that much character growth. Right. (laughs) I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because that's something I want to get back to, which is, yeah, Mars sucks. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing good about this character. And sure, you could do the nature versus nurture thing and be like, okay, he was he was raised in the Middle Ages, and and what's he, you know, like, and and that's why his morality is different than than Clark Kent's on, you know, in Kansas, right? That said, he sucks and he's yeah. done awful things. This story, I think, is most like it. It's build and talks about like, hey, what if what if um this character with godlike powers bailed on us and then wouldn't help us in our time of need because he did not care. And we don't have any reason to think he cares anymore. Like he doesn't like us and we don't like him. Um, But then it does the most expected superhero thing. And that is to have him come back and it's to have him come back and like, kind of have like, Oh, a little like feeling for his son suddenly who he has bailed on for decades at this point, you know? Um, and, And all of that is kind of like, there's 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 no real reason to buy it other than it's familiar, you know, to see, but it I, I think you're right that it's a more interesting story, actually, if he never helps. <laughs> like like I think it's actually more interesting in a lot of ways. Because that's it's, God, right? It's this, God's not helping yeah, us. Like if it's like if if he doesn't reach a hand in and doesn't intervene in such a direct way, um, that's the more familiar superhero path, the less the more subversive version of that would be him saying no and meaning it, <laughs> you know? You can't appeal to me with your human stuff. Like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think yeah. I, I like the character because it, it, once again, just talking about how there's so many good ideas. I think that oh, tell me one more time what the guy's name is that can see the future. Benefactor. Benefactor. Yes. Okay. Which Benefactor. I which I typed here is beef eater in my notes. It like <laughs> autocorrected to beef eater. So that's A really great. good gin. So. <laughs> <laughs> benefactor i loved the idea of the guy who can see the future and who is just hanging out telling you he's like i have to go through the motions of this to make an effort but i know it's gonna go badly and a bunch of people are gonna yeah. die and there's nothing i can do about it so i find that to be an interesting thing um the poking his eyes out thing i was just like you knew that was going to happen. Why did that happen? That was just Why like, did that happen? It was 2010, right? You know, like, I think that <laughs> <laughs> that era, it just, it because that was like kind of an era of comics where I overall kind of checked out because it was, yeah, I, I believe right on the precipice of New 52 or maybe going into New 52 in 2010. Just, um, just pre, yeah. Yeah, just pre. And so that means that it was after Infinite Crisis, tearing all of the arms off. Da, 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 mm -hmm. da, da, da. And to me, that just, I mean, um, I don't, I can't speak for everybody else, but I am going to say that that made me very desensitized to seeing extreme violence in comics. There was just an era where everybody had read Miracle Man and wanted to <laughs> recreate yeah. Alan Moore's greatest hits or whatever. And yeah. I think that that, kind of ruined it for me to the point where I'm just like, Hey, I'm never going to think that it's as impactful as, it, as you want me to think it is at this point, because I've seen it a million times. Mm -hmm. I know that people with superpowers can destroy a body in many interesting ways, but you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter to me as much anymore because I've seen mm -hmm. it a million times and it's been used just for shock value. And here I got to say, it doesn't, it doesn't have the weight that it would need. He gets his eyes stabbed out. I mean, it'd be cool if they just grew back or something, honestly, I think that that would be awesome. <laughs> That's the thing is sure. like, I just don't think that, I don't know. There's like a lot of things that I think that could have been fleshed out and it would have made a better story. Even just the motivations for doing that. Yeah. It's like, I don't know why Mars does that. Yeah. It's just he's like, like, just be blind. And if you want to sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all it does is it leads to a, a line so he can say like, then be freed of your sight essentially. Yeah. Right. And, and make it, your make burden. it literal. Um, and like, I guess if you were, again, like if the story was leaning more into, yeah, this is an amoral rage filled uh, God that we have no control over, then it would just be kind of like, yeah, he just does awful stuff and there's no explanation. Maybe keep um, him out of kinda... this situation, right? Like at that yeah. point. But it's like you're kind of trying to grow some sentimentality towards him as well with the quote unquote tragic backstory, with him coming back for his kid. Um, you know, it's like, it, again, it's that thing of like, you're kind of trying to do both things. I kind of wish you had just picked one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree that Benefactor's eyes being torn out was just like, why are we doing this? Um, so, so Ryan Bowden, he's definitely doing a lot of the, you know, the superhero violence and things getting ripped apart and mostly it's aliens. Um, but it's some people as well. I do love him on this comic. I think, um, I think it's great design work. I think it's great visuals. It looks so much better than, Hickman's own stuff would have looked for this book. You know, I, I'm somewhat partial to, to Hickman drawing for himself on the nightly news and Pax Romana, like he made it work, you know, with, with what his abilities are. And because of this integration of graphic design, and that's the thing too, like 
this comic has none of that. Like this comic has none of the sort of inventive, like data charts, infographics, graphs type stuff. It's just not here. It's just straight superhero. Um, and Bodenheim makes it work. It's still colored by Hickman. So like on one hand, I like it because it is tonally of a piece with the previous works that all use the same sort of color scheme. On the other hand, there are moments where like you have this wave of like heroes coming out of a ship or something and they're all the same gray. And it's just like, it's just, it, to me, it communicates like, we don't care about these characters and you shouldn't either. Yeah. But it's very, you know, which is almost a fact, like it's almost smart in some ways, but it's also like, it subverts my expectations of like this big superhero battle versus aliens, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't sell it in the way this year. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. Um, but it's definitely, it's, it's a very muted palette, uh, which I think at times can work. Like when you're on Mars and everything's just red. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like I get it. Uh, throughout the rest of the comic, less so. I would say less. Yeah. So. And I think he tries to use it to communicate differences in time more than he does. Mm -hmm. uh, once again, more than he does the individuals, which I think um, has its, has its benefits and its downsides as you noted. But I think too, that, yeah, the art looks amazing. The There's no questioning that. And I think that Hickman is a skilled illustrator as well. But I have to say that, um, you know, different books need different art. And this was, the perfect artist because it looks like the authority. It looks like something yeah. you would read that was just a super high dollar, amazing, you know, this era of superhero comics kind of look. And I think he needed that for sure. Those big group shots, the shots of the in outer space, the fights, everything. I think that they chose the perfect artist for this book. Yeah, I really like it here. It's it's very, I think, Frank Quitely inspired. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of ways, you know, you mentioned the authority there. Uh, I, I think it, it's a less hyperbolic or maybe cartoonish version of Ryan Otley on Invincible, you know, which oh, is obviously yeah. another superhero analog with it, which that comic is like the hyper gore of the 2000s. You know, yeah. that's definitely another one that is yeah. that is built on that. Yeah, but it's like so extreme. It's you know, but yeah, um, there's some really captivating images here. You know, like there's a there's a full page of Marge like lunging in violence. Yeah. Um, towards his possessed alien son. And it's so good. Like just like the proportions of his hand, these like Ditko esque, like enormous hands, um, the feral rage of like his open mouth. Like it's just, it's such a, such a cool image. Uh, so I definitely do love that. And if you like the art here, Bodenham is one of the most frequent Hickman collaborators. Um, they, they had co-collaborated and co-created a couple other, uh, creator owned books that we're going to talk about secret and the dying and the dead. Um, but all, all three of the works are kind of like, the less discussed stuff in the catalog. Um, hmm. So, so I think those would be interesting to go back and revisit as well. Um, so, all right. So end of the day, like I think this one is a red mask from Mars. Like it is interesting and worth reading. It is quick. It is a, it is a quick read. I think it is probably the quickest of any of these because of the straightforwardness of the superhero story. And like, by the time we get to the fourth issue, which again, like took forever to come out and what a bummer it must've been. But, um, by the time you get to it, it is like, it's a lot of action. It is just a lot of alien versus, uh, Mars, you know, throw down stuff. And, um, you can get through it pretty quickly. You can get through it pretty quickly. I think it does some things. Well, I think like we, like you said, like it gets us talking about interesting ideas about what can and can't be done in superhero comics. Um, what a perfect society could look like in these types of fictional universes. Um, and I think in that regard, it is successful. I think in regards to building characters in a superhero universe, uh, it does not do much that it feels lasting. And I think whereas Pax Romana 
Have you read that? I'm assuming no. I haven't, but I actually just listened to your podcast about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, whereas that book, it set up so much that I wanted more of it. Like genuinely was, and, and Hickman talked about like, this is a thing I plan to revisit. It just never happened. Yeah. Um, that was definitely set up for that in a way that I was excited about. And this is very intentionally and always discussed as being done. Like these are the four issues. This is it. I do actually think it's better for it. Um, I think, could it have been longer at the time and, and filled in more details fleshed out? Yes, absolutely. I'm not, ever going to say, man, I really wish he'd go back to a red mask for Mars. Um, I think, I think you just, you would just start again, start over, start fresh, start clean. If you want to do a superhero universe, which I, I doubt he does, um, and do it a different way. Right. We and didn't I, I like think in that regard, in this book, everybody was kind of awful. So <laughs> yeah, I mean that, and you know what, actually I, I do like a little bit, and you mentioned him when I meant to say this, um, the characterization of the benefactor. Like yeah. I do think he's an interesting narrator. I actually find him most interesting as a mirror to the X-Men's destiny. Um, this character who has such prominence in the Hickman X-Men and now into like the Kieran Gillen Immortal X-Men, because I am fascinated with the idea of like destiny getting her due and this character actually getting a chance to be like the focus of stories. I think it's really challenging to have a clairvoyant character in a superhero comic be like a lead. And that's something that Claremont always kind of skirted. Yeah. He always kind of dodged. You know, she's always in the background. She does simple stuff like, hey, Blob, jump to the right. Like, just simple little action stuff. But I love the idea of that character being a lead. Um, there's a line here from the benefactor. He's talking about his relationship with this Reed Richards analog. And he says, he's the, um, you know, what bums me out is, and this is the quote, the most brilliant man alive has never uttered a single word I didn't know. That's a really cool line. Yeah. Like, I, I love that idea and that exploration of what do you actually do with these types of characters. So... In that regard, just on a, a storytelling level, I was like, ooh, what can we what can we do with Destiny based on what we see with the benefactor here? Yeah. I was excited about that. Yeah, Destiny is one of my all-time favorite characters for many reasons. Obviously, as a gay person reading the X-Men, love Destiny, loved her always. She's so, so great. Um, but they hadn't done anything with her. So I gotta say that. Yeah, you can look at this as almost a precursor to the Krakoa era, and I think it works like that. If you wanted to see, hey, what were some of his ideas that were floating around 10 years before he got to this one or whatever, I think that this is a, this is good for that. And um, that definitely he's doing way more with that uh, archetype, the, uh, the precognitive with Destiny, oh, yeah. and that the books are just so much better for it. I wrote for Comic Book Herald the piece that was about Destiny and Mystique and Inferno, and I love them. Like, I just think that that's one of the best things that he did with the entire franchise was, first of all, bringing Mystique yeah. and Destiny back into a prominent place, and then also just, like, you can't you can't underestimate some of the things. Like, they, they were closeted, you know, forever, and the fact mm -hmm. that that changed, and so now we have a couple of Power lesbians, like at the on the you know quiet council. I think that yeah. there's so many cool things about it, like to the point where I, I will. I this whole podcast could just be me talking about how much I love Destiny. You know, I love that. Character. We're gonna we're gonna have to do that sometime because yeah, definitely... I'm, <laughs> I'm all about it. I love her, um, and I love yeah. Mystique. Like I think that they're just one of my favorites, but. Uh, but Benefactor is almost, as you say, it's like a sketch mm -hmm. of Destiny mm -hmm. almost. Like what happens with Destiny later is the full 
like beautiful cover, you know, by Peach Momoko or like whatever. And this yeah. is like a little sketch in a notebook of destiny, essentially. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and and as sketches go, it's like clearly like, oh, their sketches are better than my drawings, right? Like it's you know, like definitely yeah. it is it is still good stuff. Um, I would still recommend a red mask from Mars for people on the Hickmania um read through. So all right, so that's that's gonna take us up to so up coming up next, we've got a red wing, which is kind of the final of these four issue minis before then we launch into like the Manhattan projects and the start of these longer runs that were really a part of like once Hickman has reached like, Oh, he's the Avengers writer level like fame, but also kind of a part of like when the image boom really happens, like, like the image boom of the 2010s rather um, where suddenly you just have like every creator launching all of these, like every big name creator launching all these really interesting works, right? You get saga kicking off, you get Manhattan projects, you get East of West, you get um, sex criminals, you get uh, a gazillion. I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Right. Um, And it's just like this moment where, it seemed like basically everyone who was cool at Marvel is suddenly doing their creator own thing. And like one of them, and you, you like bitch planet starts around time. Like yeah, so many, I was going to say so bitch planet. Comics. Yeah. So that's, we'll get into that wave coming up very soon here. Um, if you want to see the comics, that stuff's all going to be in the show notes uh, for the schedule and we'll have other guests on uh, Sarah, any final thoughts on, uh, on this that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Oh man. Uh, well, I mean, we did over an hour on a four issue series, so I think that we did pretty <laughs> good. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, I, yeah, I agree with you. Honestly, I would tell people that this is worth a read for sure. And I don't think that it's it, at no point was I reading it and went, no, you know, there was no point where I thought that it was just bad or anything. So I think that yeah, the parts that don't quite catch up, why don't you read this and then read uh, Thunderbolt? Because that to me, that's like kind of a better version of this. And then why don't you read Krakoa? Because that's like a better version of this. But as as yeah. many comic fans are. I'm somebody who doesn't always have to read a great comic. <laughs> like I just want to read a comic. So yeah, for yeah. me, this was like, you know, I'd say on, uh, it's like maybe like C plus B minus era, you know, the art sells it though. So check it out for the art. Yeah, no, it's very good stuff. Um, I, I think uh, it, it fits well in like a thematic sort of like, I'm going to read a bunch of like alternate superhero takes kind of yeah. thing, right? Like you can read this. Throw in some Astro City, throw in some Black Hammer, do Umbrella Academy if you haven't. You know, like you can go to do, you know, do a little Irredeemable, right? Like you can thematic sort of like stories like this and it fits of a piece. You like Peter Kenneth Thunderbolt, like you said. Um, it gets you thinking about like deconstructing and reconstructing and how are these stories told in the big two. I think in some pretty, some pretty interesting and successful ways. Yeah, it's not all, it's not all, you know fastballs down the middle but it's uh but it it does some interesting stuff actually yeah. i wanted to recommend there's another comic that's called kismet man of fate and that comic okay. is like these but he is it's all about him working with people so i think if you read this comic and you think oh there's like no people in it which is kind of how i felt then there is a comic specifically that you should check out that's called Kismet Manafate. And I talked up Thunderbolt, so I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Kismet Manafate is also a comic that I think explores a lot of these themes in excellent ways. However, it's it's less superhero-oriented, and it's about a superhero who says, I clearly don't have the answers, so let's talk mm. to the people. And that's what the comic is about, is him, like the Superman 
who just goes, I can't fix anything without you, so let's fix it together. So I think that that's a great comic. Um, not to end a Hickman podcast on a recommendation for other people's books, but I guess no, I just perfect. did. <laughs> Anyways. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to check that out. I haven't, I haven't read that. That's awesome. You should. It's right, cool. really good. I'm definitely going to read that. All right, Sarah, where should people find you? You, as you mentioned, Bitches on Comics, we are also doing the same, the crew of Bitches on Comics, which is Essie, Fleenor, Monica, Estrella Negra, and me, is doing the Decoded Pride anthology right now, which is a queer speculative fiction anthology. And you can buy the first two issues online and you can pre-order issue three. We're in the reading process right now um, and finishing it up, but we're well on our way. It's every June we do one story by a queer creator every single day throughout the entire month. So we're in that. We might be taking a break after this year. This is a good time to support us because there's we got more submissions this year than we've ever gotten. And, um, you know, there's less queer presses going than there ever has been, honestly. There was a um, kind of a boom of queer anthologies for a hot second. And then right now, I think it's just us. So. I'm definitely in the zone of like people need to start more of these. <laughs> where where should people where should people find where to support that for decoded? Is there a website decoded they should go to? Is, or, or yes, thank you. It's decoded dot sorry decodedpride.com. Decodedpride.com. Yeah, and bitchesoncomics.com also or any of the podcast platforms that you listen to. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Um, hey, everybody, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff, of course, at comicbookherald.com. You can find me online at comicbookherald. Um, if you're watching here on the YouTube, uh, please like, subscribe, and share, and all that fun stuff. If you listen on the podcast, thanks so much for listening. Uh, please subscribe to the channel for more conversations like these, as well as interviews with all sorts of my favorite comics creators. Again, Hickmania number five coming up is going to be a red wing, and then we will continue throughout the year getting to all of the big name creator on stuff here in the future but uh that's gonna do it thanks so much for listening and enjoy the comics